we are going to look at the next sermon in this new series, What Next, with an exclamation point series, What Next, a study on the major prophetic end time events that God gives us in his word. And last week, you may recall that we looked at um, the church age, the age in which we now live. We said began on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We'll end with the event we're talking about in this sermon, the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We live in this period of time called the church age. It's an exciting period of time. I told you last week some reasons when I read the seasons, I think that we're near the end of the church age. I don't have a date. Scripture doesn't give me a date when Christ will rapture the church, but I can read the seasons. I see, read the news, watch the news. So if in the mall, the kiosk where it puts the sticker, you are here by Macy's, I think that I would contend that God puts a sticker this morning near the end of the church age and says, you're here. That's why it was so good on Wednesday night that 40 of us assembled in the parking lot, prayed and sang, and then took gospel tracts to all the streets in Mason's edition. We were so warmly received. We told them we were from Calvary Bible Church, not from some political party or the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they got a big smile on their face. We said, we want to share with you the greatest news that you could ever hear, and they listened. And some people trusted Jesus to be their savior. And all people were invited to this church, that they're welcome. And so you, hopefully you'll see some of our neighbors from Mason's Edition in the service today or future services. Welcome them, love them, notice them, encourage them. One fellow I shared the gospel with, he was in his car. He said, come over here and tell me. So I went over and I started to share the good news about God and the bad news about all of us as sinners and the way of salvation. He looked at me and he said, you know, man, you're doing what Jesus would do. You're coming to us. Jesus would come to us, and you all doing what Jesus would do. You're coming to us tonight. I said, yes, sir, we are. We're going to do it again. Everybody who shared on Wednesday night to a person wants to do this again. The sooner the better. We're going to do this again. Hope some more of you will join us. What a blessing. Whew, what a blessing. And we're doing this because we live in the church age, the time that started in Acts chapter 2 with the descent of the Holy Spirit to permanently indwell born-again believers in Christ. We're walking through the corridors of time, the centuries since Acts chapter 2, and I think we're near the end of this church age, and the event that will end the church age is the rapture return of Christ. When he comes to Earth's atmosphere, catches the born-again believers up, opens the grave of previously deceased born-again Christians, resurrects their bodies, and takes us out of here. Goodbye, world, goodbye. We're going to look at the rapture this morning, and as I do in the context of prophecy, I told you last Sunday that when the Bible was first revealed, at least 60% of God's word was prophetic. God told persons who wrote scripture for us to read and first original readers to read, 60 or more percent of the time when it was first given, it was predictive because God controls the future. God is not reactive. God is proactive. God does not lack a plan. He has the plan. God is capable of executing the plan perfectly. He's never late. And he's never incomplete. And God wants us to know these major future end time events as revealed in his word. He wants us to know these things because he bothered to reveal them in his word. If he didn't care, that we, if he didn't care for us to think about the future, he wouldn't have told us about the future. Secondly, there is blessing in knowing what's going to happen in God's future plan. God's future plan gives us current day marching orders. 
Knowing what God intends to do in the future ought to shape what we do now. And it gives us hope now and hope in the future. So the rapture, return of Jesus Christ, I believe, is the next prophetic event after the conclusion of the church age. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 are our main text this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Yes, the rapture return of Christ is the next end time predicted event that we ought to anticipate. There is no biblical prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled before the rapture return of Christ can take place. Everything has been fulfilled leading up to the rapture that needs to be fulfilled according to the word of God. That means that the rapture return of Christ could be an any time now event. It's imminent. That means that Jesus could come to earth's atmosphere, gather us up as believers to be with him in the twinkling of an eye at the trumpet's call of God, even before this service dismisses. Will you be ready? Do you know Christ, or will you be left behind? The rapture, indeed, is an any time now event. It's what happens next. The term rapture comes from the Latin verb rapturio. And rapturio in Latin means to catch up. To catch up. Rapturio is the Latin verb from which we get the English term rapture. Some argue that because the actual term rapture does not occur in the Bible, then there will be no rapture. To that I simply say the actual terms trinity and millennium also do not appear in the Bible, but that does not mean that the Bible knows nothing of the Godhead, the triunity of God, or knows nothing of a future thousand-year kingdom of Christ on earth. In the time we have here this morning, I want to look then at the very next future event to which to look and anticipate, and that is the rapture. And to be more specific, I want our time in the Word this morning to come under three headings. The first heading is what it is, what the rapture is, what it is. The second heading is what it isn't. And the third heading is what it implies. These are the headings for our study and sermon this morning. What it is, what it isn't, 
and what it implies, all referencing the rapture return of Christ. So let's start with what it is. According to the verses I have read to you from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, the rapture is four things, which each begin with the letter R. The rapture entails four things that each begin with the letter R. First, the rapture is a return. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16a, listen for the return. But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh yes, the rapture, first R of the rapture is it will be a return. A return to earth's atmosphere by Jesus Christ. But this return of Jesus is not for everyone. The rapture return of Jesus is not for everyone. No, it's a return only for those who are saved for those who are born again, for those who have trusted Christ alone for their salvation. Is that you? I'm not talking about your wife or your husband. Is it you? Are you saved? Born again, converted, redeemed? You say, Pastor, how do you see the return, the rapture return only being for the saved? Because in verse 13 it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren. No unsaved, unconverted person is ever called brethren in the New Testament. And in verse 14, it says, being in Jesus. This return is redeemed, saved, born-again person specific. Do you know Christ? I'm not saying, do you know about him? Have you trusted him and only him to be your peace with God have you recognized that you're a sinner who falls short of God? You can't save yourself and that he died not to show you how to die, but he died to shed his innocent blood to wash you clean of sin. Like any gift, that gift is only yours if you receive it. And God says you receive that gift of forgiveness in heaven through faith, childlike faith, complete faith in Christ and Christ alone, his person and his work. Have you trusted him that way? I'm not talking about church membership or baptism, christening, good works. I'm talking about receiving with the hand of faith in Christ's person and work, Christ's person and work alone, forgiveness of sin. That's what makes you a born-again Christian. You're no more a born-again Christian walking into the sanctuary as I am a mechanic when I walk into Bay Street Garage. This building doesn't make anybody born again. The rapture return of Christ is believer-specific. So when our Lord and Savior returns in the rapture event, it will be with the souls and the spirits of the redeemed persons who have previously died to the event. Remember, when those believers died prior to the rapture return, immediately their souls and spirits were dismissed from their bodies to immediately go to be with Jesus in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body, present with the Lord, just like that, no delay. For the believer in Jesus, absence from the body and physical death means literal presence with Jesus in heaven immediately. 
So there's a return involved with this rapture. It's a believer-specific return of Jesus. There's a second R in the rapture, and it's a resurrection. Will you see the resurrection of the rapture with me in verse 16, please? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, watch it, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Resurrection. Not only will the Lord Jesus return for the believers, but according to this part of verse 16, the Lord Jesus will resurrect dead believers' bodies at this return. This teaches us that the graves of all born-again persons around the whole wide world will open on the day of Jesus Christ's rapture return, and that these opened graves will give up the remains of all the believers' bodies that were interred in those graves. You say, what about people who are buried at sea? No problem. Every born-again believer's body, wherever it is, at the rapture return of Christ, will be resurrected to join the spirit and the soul of that believer who have already gone to be with Jesus when they died. So at this rapture event, so far we've learned that it's a return and it's a resurrection, but there's a third R, of course, that is a rapture. And as previously mentioned, the word rapture comes from the Latin verb rapterio, which means to catch up. So the rapture is the spectacular event of living born-again persons being caught up from the earth to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his resurrected redeemed ones in the air. <laughs> wow. 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. <laughs> so far we're seeing that the rapture event involves a return and a resurrection and a rapture, of course, but there's more. There's a fourth R. The rapture event also involves a reunion. Don't we all love reunions? Get together with our family, reminisce, laugh, cry, pray, worship, eat. We love reunions. Verse 17 again. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Watch it. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. Together we all will be with the Lord. That's a reunion. A glorious reunion that will never be interrupted. It will be an everlasting reunion. It will be forever hello. It will be no more goodbyes ever to with each other. And the next time you're in a cemetery, I want you to scan the graves and I want you to think about the biblical fact that one day, maybe that day that you're in the cemetery, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And I want you in that cemetery to think about the fact that on that day of rapture return, there will be multiple resurrections out of all of the graves of all of the born-again believing girls, boys, women, and men. And in that cemetery, I want you to think about that on that day of the rapture return of Jesus, in fractions of one second after all of the believers' bodies are resurrected, there will be a magnificent airlift, a catching up, a rapture of the living born-again Christians who are alive at that event. And then in that cemetery, I want you to think about that after the rapture, there will be a glorious and permanent reunion between deceased believers and living believers at the time of the rapture, and it'll be a forever hello reunion. No more goodbyes. 
Therefore, no wonder it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Rapture, four R's. A return, a resurrection, a rapture, and a reunion. That's the what it is section of this sermon. Now let's move to what it isn't. What the rapture isn't. Put simply, the rapture return isn't the second coming return of Jesus Christ. They're different. The rapture return of Jesus Christ is not equal to the second coming return of Jesus Christ. Let me show you why. The rapture return of Christ and the second coming return of Christ are different events separated by a seven-year period of time. So here we are. We're in the church age, started in Acts chapter 1. We're living in the church age and dwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit, which no one in the Old Testament had that privilege. We're near the end of the church age, I believe, which will end with the rapture of the church, which will kick off seven unprecedented years of troubles on the earth, literal judgments of God, Revelation chapters 4 through 18, seven years. Jesus Christ has plan to come back after seven years. This is a second coming event. So the second coming event is different than seven years previous, which is the rapture return event. They're not the same thing. There's a seven-year interval of tribulation between the rapture return of Christ for the church and Christ's second coming to earth to set up his kingdom. They're different events. They're not the same. Many Christians I've met over the years mix up the rapture and the second coming. Either they make them the same thing and they aren't, or they confuse one with the other, and they aren't to be confused. They're distinct. Friends, to understand God's future events as predicted in his Bible, you must know that the rapture and the second coming are two separate returns of Jesus. Get that wrong, and you'll get the rest wrong. So what the rapture event isn't, it isn't the second coming of Christ. Now you say, really? Really? I was taught otherwise. Well, just stick with me. I'm saying that the rapture return of Jesus Christ to end the church age and to begin the seven years of tribulation, seven years later, the second coming of Christ to set up his kingdom are different events. Think with me. The rapture removes all believers, but the second coming of Christ reveals Christ to the world the rapture, in the rapture, believers are caught up into the air, but in the second coming of Christ, Christ descends to the earth. At the rapture, Christ claims a bride, but at the second coming, returns to earth with that bride. The rapture starts the tribulation, but the second coming starts the thousand-year millennial kingdom. The rapture is imminent. It's an any-time-now event. There are no signs required before it will happen. The second coming event is not imminent in that certain signs predicted in the scriptures have not happened yet. The rapture and the second coming are different. The rapture brings a message of comfort, but the second coming brings a message of judgment. Now, let me just take a short break in this contrasting list between the rapture and the second coming because I want to read you two sample passages of Scripture that are second coming predictive and not rapture, just so you get a sense of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 24 Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31. This is second coming truth. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. 
But immediately, Jesus is speaking, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. That's second coming. Not rapture. Let me take you to another second coming passage that is a second coming passage. It's not a a rapture passage. It's Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, 11 to 21. This is second coming truth, not rapture truth. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheaven, come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. That's second coming, not rapture. Don't mix up the two. Back to my contrasting list. The rapture is one return of Christ. The second coming is another return of Christ. They're separated by seven years of tribulation. They're different returns with different purposes. Let me contrast some more. At the rapture, most everyone on earth misses even seeing Jesus come back. He's in earth's atmosphere. It's in five sixteenths of a second. That's what medically speaking is the twinkling of an eye. Most persons on earth at the rapture don't even see Jesus come back. But at the second coming, no one on earth misses Jesus coming back. He's seen by everybody, Matthew 24 said. At the rapture, it's called a mystery, something that was settled in the mind, decree, and purpose of God from eternity past that no previous scripture revealed. There was no understanding of the rapture in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. But the second coming is predicted both by the Old and the New Testaments. The rapture results in believers being evaluated, but the second coming results in unbelievers being judged in the kingdom. The rapture leaves the creation unchanged, but the second coming of Christ totally changes the creation. Carnivore animals revert to being herbivore animals. Lions lie down with lambs. Little babies play with viperous, poisonous snakes and not get killed. The rapture leaves creation unchanged, but the second coming of Christ changes creation to a renaissance of what God intended it for it to be before the fall. 
The rapture leaves Israel's covenants unfulfilled, but the second coming fulfills all of God's covenantal promises to the nation of Israel and the kingdom. The rapture leaves evil operating, but the second coming aggressively judges evil in the kingdom. They're different. (laughs) They're different. The rapture takes place before the day of wrath, but the second coming takes place after the day of wrath. The rapture takes place before the day of wrath, the seven years of tribulation. The second coming happens after the day of wrath, the seven years of tribulation. They're different. The rapture only affects believers, but the second coming affects everyone. At the rapture, the Lord is at hand, according to Philippians 4, 5, but at the second coming, the kingdom is at hand, according to Matthew 24, verse 14. At the rapture, the church expects to be taken to be with Christ. But at the second coming, Israel expects to be taken into Christ's kingdom. Let me just bring some conclusion to this contrastive list between the rapture and the second coming. You remember that Jesus in the upper room before the cross, in those precious comforting words that he told his first followers that are still so comforting for us today, when he said to them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In Jewish marriage custom, you were considered to be married if you were betrothed. We would say engaged. But in the marriage understanding for the Jews, to be betrothed was to be married, although there was no sexual union during the time of betrothal. So when Jesus' biological mother Mary was found to be with child, do you remember that her fiancé, we would say, when they were betrothed, was going to put her away by divorce? We would say break off the engagement. But in a Jewish mindset, that was a divorce because you were married when you were betrothed, even though you had not physically consummated the marriage. The length of time for a Jewish betrothal was roughly a year. The bride who was betrothed to a groom stayed with her mommy and her daddy in her home of origin and learned to be a wife and a mother, readied herself for the consummation of the marriage a year later. The groom... The male fiancé went to wherever they were going to make their home, and he built them a marital house during that year. And then when that was finished, the groom would go back to where his bride in betrothal was living with her parents. He would come for her. He would gather her up and all of her belongings, and they would make a processional march back to where the marital home had been built, and they would have a long, elaborate, festive celebration of marriage. At the end of those parties, they would physically consummate their marriage. But they, in the Jewish mind, were married from the time they became betrothed. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is our bridegroom. Right now, we're betrothed to Jesus. We are on earth being ready to be a bride. Jesus left after crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and he went to heaven to build our marital home. Think of what it must be like. It's taken him 2,000 years. He's still building. God did what we see in six literal days in creation. 
But this is what it means when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, the marital house, are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing right now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to the bride of Christ, the church. I will come again in the rapture return of Christ to receive you to myself. That where I am, the marital home, heaven, that where I am, there you may be also. The rapture return, friends, and the second coming return are not equal. They're different. Seven years separates the two. It kind of makes me shake my head in all honesty when persons say there isn't a rapture and they lump everything that's to do with the rapture in Scripture onto the second coming. I just kind of, honestly, I shake my head. So let's stop and take a breath. We're moving along nicely in this study this morning of the rapture, and we've, under the heading of what it is, we've learned that the rapture is a return, a resurrection, a rapture, and a reunion. And then under the heading of what it isn't, we've learned that the rapture return of Christ is not the second coming of Christ. And so our last heading for the sermon is what it implies. What does the rapture return of Christ imply for you and me? What does it imply? Well, at least two important everyday implications of the uh, rapture return would be number one, time is not unlimited. I'm watching March Madness basketball, college basketball. There's a clock ticking, man. And the game doesn't go on forever. And the team that's behind, when the seconds are clicking off to the buzzer, goes into full court press, goes into action, goes into special defenses to try to stop the team that's ahead and to score some buckets so they can win. We live in a church age that is not time unlimited. It has a starting point, the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and the church age has an ending point, a decisive ending point, the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, and I think we're here. You are here. What we have to do for Jesus, we won't have all day to do. We won't have, take our merry time to do it. Time is not unlimited the final buzzer on the church age, the rapture of the church could happen at any time, and God's clock for human history is silently, constantly ticking down. Tick, 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 tick. And so we ought to be in basketball parlance going into full court press. In basketball parlance, we ought to be putting up three-point uh, shots. In football parlance, we should be in our hurry-up offense, our two-minute drill. In a baby coming to a mother Parlance, we should be in the get that expectant mother who's in labor to the hospital mode. My dear brothers and sisters, precisely because the rapture return of Christ is imminent, no prophecy needs to be fulfilled before it could happen. Because the rapture return event is an any time now event. We have no time to waste playing church, making our lives only about making money, complaining about problems, being uncaring for lost persons who are on their way to a crisis eternity, except we tell them the good news through Jesus Christ. Because time is not unlimited, we need to get into action. 
We need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. We need to be busy. The Christian life for you and me ought not to be just sliding for home. We should be running it out like we've hit an inside-the-park home run, and the relay throw is right on us. Secondly, my forever family, precisely because the rapture return of Jesus Christ is an anytime now event, we have no time to waste sharing our faith. Jesus said in John 9, verse 4, the following to his disciples and by extension to us in 2017, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no man may work. And it seems to me the sun is setting. And the daylight hours of the church age, it would seem to me, are waning. The first implication of the rapture is that time is not unlimited. The second implication of the rapture is that death is not universal. You may not physically die. You may go directly to be with Jesus in Earth's atmosphere without dying. How great would that be? Here would be an interesting approach to witnessing your faith with someone. Why don't you think about telling a lost person, if you're born once, you have to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only have to die once, and maybe not even once. Try that over the lunch table tomorrow at your workplace. Try that over the fence with your neighbor in the backyard this week. Try that with the cashier at Tops. Do you know what? If you're only born once, you have to die twice. But if you're born twice, you only have to die once, and you may not even have to die once. Will you please stand with me? We are standing together for a couple of reasons. We are standing together in respect for God and what he has shown us from his word together. We're standing because we're in a posture that we can now do something. We're ready to move. We're ready to do something. And we're standing because we're on the turf of decision. I have been praying this week and preparing this message that God would move me in the pulpit and all of you in the pew to decision, to be different, to be involved. For those who are standing without a personal saving faith in Christ, I've been praying this week that your decision would be to run to Jesus, trust him as Savior, and be born again this morning. For those of you who are saved, the majority, I would think, we are standing and being called to decision to live like Jesus could come back before dinner tonight. How does that affect your money? How does that affect your free time? How does that affect your worship? How does that affect your Bible study? How does that affect your prayer? How does that affect your sharing of your faith to lost people? That Jesus could come for the church before dinner tonight. After all, he said and meant, 
in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you will be also. That should affect how we live. That should affect how we witness the gospel. We're standing because the Bible today isn't just to make us smarter. It's to make us obedient. Have you a sense as you're standing what the Holy Spirit wants of you different in obedience? Get a handle on that. The Holy Spirit saying in a still small voice, change that. Make that a priority. Love me and love others. People are not okay without Jesus as Savior. Have you got a handle on what God the Holy Spirit is wanting to prompt you to change, to repent about, to be different? In your heart and silent prayer, you tell the Lord with his help, you'll be different. Oh God, make me different. Please make my friends different. The clock is ticking and Jesus, you could come for the bride, the church, anytime. May we occupy until you come as a betrothed bride of Christ. May we be getting beautified in the word of God by the spirit of God to more resemble the son of God. And lost person who is not yet a Christian here this morning. Be saved. Acknowledge your sin before a holy God. Acknowledge that Jesus died in your place and shed his innocent blood to cover your sins, all of them. Turn from those sins in his strength and run to him in faith and say, I need you, and I want you to be my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for your sovereignty, that you are the boss of your universe. No molecule, no atom of your creation is out from underneath your watch, care, and control. Thank you that you're revealing God in the pages of Scripture. Thank you that you grant to us hope, no tribulation, rapture. And now, Lord, you've even called us to work for you. Not to be uninvolved in the work of Christ, not to be lazy in the work of Christ, not to be uncommitted in the work of Christ, but to be red hot on fire spiritually in the work of Christ. Forgive us, God, when we have 
been fearful to share the way of salvation, when we've been disinterested in certain people for whatever reasons, forgive us. And God, may this expression of the bride of Christ grow by conversion growth. And may every Bible-believing and heralding church on this island grow similarly by conversion growth. Lord, with the Apostle John, as he wrote on the Isle of Patmos, we say, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. And we pray together in his matchless name and for his glory alone. Amen.